0: Beyond Synth Season 7 Sequence Commencing in 5,
1: 4, 3,
0: 2, 1
2: Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last. This is Beyond Synth episode 180. So that's cool. This has been a very crazy week. <laughs> So only a few people tune in to the live stream on Twitch, although that audience is growing slowly. But this week, I had to skip it because this week and last weekend, so here's what happened. My daughter, who is a toddler, uh, got some sort of stomach bug or something. And so last weekend, we were visiting relatives, and I had my computer set up, ready to work and do everything on time. And then at about 3 in the morning, she woke up and she was like... Didn't feel good, and then threw up everywhere, and lots of things had to be cleaned. And basically, from that point on, it was no longer a regular working weekend <laughs> because we didn't. None of us got any sleep, and and there was so much to clean. So that's why last week the show was delayed, and then this week it seemed like everything was okay. She was on the mend. Everything was good. She went back to daycare, and then picked up this stomach bug again. And then my wife got sick, and then now my fucking tooth... Remember I was, like, complaining about that unnecessary dental work I got? Well, now my teeth are actually, like, hurting. So not only was that dental work unnecessary, but now I think I gotta go in and get it fixed. And I didn't even want the stupid dentist to do any of it. Anyway, so that's another thing. Oh, and then our furnace broke. So that was fun. So that's my report for you. So look, let's listen to some music. Let's put all this, uh... Unpleasantness behind us and move forward because we have a fun show today. I'm going to be talking with artist Blood and Chrome Basil, who is like a really talented dude and makes awesome artwork. And I have a quick catch up before that with Mecca Mako, aka Haley Stewart, who hasn't actually been on the show Since 2017, so it was fun to catch up with her, and we're going to do all that today, so it's going to be a big, long show today. So let's start off with some cool music, which is, of course, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the king of the Pattersons, Mr. Chris Dance. Here's to you, buddy. All right, now here's a cool song. This... Is Questorosa with the track Darkade? And that was Darkade, brought to you... Wait, no, wait, so that was... <laughs> that was Darkade by Cuesta Rosa, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Jose Arbello, with a 66.59. And Christian Alexander, with a 50. All cool people... Who support this show. And you can do that too by going to patreon.com slash BeyondSynth. And speaking of which, I've got some new patrons this week. So I'd like to uh, give a warm welcome to Jimpy. (laughs) Jimpy, J-I-M-P-I. Jimpy, thanks you, thanks you for supporting Beyond Synth. And also new donor this week Ori Felix. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce your name, right? Ori A U R I. Anyway, welcome aboard to the Beyond Synth Patreon family. And also new donor in the $10 club, known SO. Or do you say known so? K N O W N S O. But the S.O. is capitalized. You tell me, man, and I will say it the way you want it said. Anyway, thanks. You're a cool guy. Thank you all for supporting Beyond Synth. This is what keeps the lights on, but not the heat, because the uh, furnace. It was fixed. Luckily, my landlord lives in the house, so anytime there's any sort of problems to do with the heat or the water or anything like that, uh, it gets fixed really quick. That's the one advantage of having a landlord when you live in the same house as them. If anything breaks, they have to fix it, or else they don't have it either. And believe me, I've been in some shitty situations with fucking landlords who did not give a shit about me or the other tenants, and that is no fun. I had a fucking ceiling collapse, for fuck's sakes, on me, and the 2 didn't give a shit. Uh, But, you know, not everybody is as uh, cool as you want them to be. So, how about we listen to another track, and then we will have a quick catch-up with Haley Stewart. So I'm in the mood for some techno right now. So that's what we're going to do. This is Mental Discipline from the album Past Forward. This, of course, is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporter, Mr. Jacob Wick. We made a big Lego table over the Christmas holidays. I still haven't integrated your Lego yet. I always feel weird about doing that because it sort of gets absorbed by the pile. And I feel like maybe I should... Uh... For any of you wondering, Jacob uh, sent me some Lego because he... He had some spare Lego to send over, and, um... You know, once it gets amalgamated into the pile, that's it. It's like a big T-1000 absorbing the liquid metal, you know? And then it's... Then it's no longer the Lego that Jacob Wick sent me, and then it's just part of the beast. The Lego beast. What am I doing? Oh, yeah, we're listening to music. But... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, some lovely techno for you. This is Mental Discipline with the track Synthetic Soul! Featuring sinasike or is it sinus Psyche, Synapse. And psych. I'll try and figure this out after the song. And that was Mental Discipline with the track Synthetic Soul featuring CinePsych. S-Y-N-A-P-S-Y-C-H-E. The reason why that's interesting is because Psych, the Y has the I sound, but then if it starts with S-Y-N-A, that's like synapse. So that Y has the i sound, and it's weird to have a word that has two Ys in it, but one is pronounced one way and one is pronounced the other way. So I think it's like synapse, so cyna-psych, but maybe it's cyna-psych, who knows? Let me know, man! Anyway, that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporter, City Hunter. You're a cool guy. Anyway, we got so much show today, so let's go catch up with Mecha Mako right now. And it is Mecha Mako, right? Yeah. Okay.
3: Honestly, it's however you want to pronounce it.
2: Well, it looks like Mako to me.
3: Yeah, that's fine.
2: Just because I've heard other people say it different ways, and so I'm like, am I wrong?
3: Technically, the Japanese word for Mako is, like, maiko. Maiko. But I don't usually say it that way. Sometimes it's honestly, like, pff, I don't even know, man.
2: Oh, I should introduce you properly. Sorry, this is a terrible <laughs> way to start the fucking...
3: <laughs> I didn't even know we were starting. I thought this is just for, like educational purposes.
2: Well, see, I like to invite the listeners in on my learning experience, right? So yeah, this way I don't good. appear to be like some know-it-all. Like, I'm, I'm constantly learning. That's, that's an important part of... Uh Anyways, I'm here with Haley Stewart. Hi, Haley. Hello. How are you?
3: I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How about you?
2: I'm great. So, we're going to get people caught up here. So, we're having a little quick uh, catch-up. Because last time you were on the show, I don't even know what episode that was. That was a while ago. You came on a month before you released the album. Because then I remember I went to the release. You had that little thing at the... Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Is it Dundas Video? What is it called?
3: Yeah. Dundas Video. Good job.
2: Uh- <laughs> 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 Thank you Whenever I go to Tilt Since they moved Tilt Across the street From Dundas Video mm-hmm. So now Whenever I go And then there's a huge Line-up at Tilt I just go f- to Dundas Video And just get a beer And play Goldeneye And like Wait for the line to go away Or wait for the people I know there to come get me It's perfect Cause that line-up And it's so fucking cold I, I wanna go And I'm like The stupid line-up at Tilt All the time Is like Fuck you Like I'm not doing that
3: Don't you have like An v- exclusive Like Synthwave VIP pass at this point
2: Sort of But it's because I like I'm pals with the DJ But if he's DJing Then like He can't collect me You see So then I go oh, across the street mm-hmm. That's a, that's electro overdrive Anyways that has got nothing to do with this
3: It's still great If you're in Toronto And want synth wavy things Anyway Yeah Let's go.
2: But the point is, so it was right before that project. So we were still talking about your older stuff, and now we are we're moving ahead. So we're in full Mecha Mako mode today. Yeah. Since we talked, you put out that album. I've played several songs from that album, and uh, a listener favorite is the track "Cold," that the one you did with Dana Jean.
3: Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for playing that.
2: Yeah, and people like it. They voted. It was one of the ones that people wanted to hear again. Yay! So that's nice. And uh, and I've played a few other tracks from it. So we'll try and play some that I haven't played today. That's like the bottom and we'll talk about the new EP which just came out is that correct yeah
0: all right
3: <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm not really giving you that much I should have had a second coffee why don't you tell me what you've been up to since a year ago <laughs> yeah
2: actually it was more than a year oh I mean we've seen each other several times since then yeah but it's probably even more than a year you tell me what you've been up to and I'm gonna look
3: okay since releasing Mad But Soft, I basically started playing because I'd never played live before, and so that's been a real quick departure into something new, so that's been a lot of learning and practicing and getting used to it. I'm actually getting Dana Jean Phoenix to give me lessons because I have, I've really lost any sort of... Uh, performative skill that I might might have had when I was like a kid so (laughs) no she's been awesome I actually traded a photo shoot because she really needed some like new press photos so you
2: you took some good pictures those are nice
3: oh thank you yeah secret double life I did some photos with her in exchange for her wealth of knowledge I don't know I've just been working on a lot of new music playing shows and
2: 2017 you were here on 2017 in August In August? That's when I aired that show. August 2017, according to my fucking thing.
3: No way.
2: Yeah, August 12th, 2017 is when I aired the episode, which means we probably recorded it in May or June.
3: Oh my god. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: What? Yeah, so it's been a long time. Holy crap. So now we gotta fill in some fucking blanks here, like two years worth of blanks.
3: (sighs) Ah... Okay.
2: How about I play a song first? I'll give you two <laughs> seconds to think about it. All right. We're, we'll talk a bit about Mad But Soft. I'm going to play some songs I have not played before uh, off this one because you guys have already heard some of them. So I'm going to play this track. How about Man to Love Like You in brackets bonus? I like that one.
3: Oh, yeah. It is indeed a bonus. This is a pretty exclusive listen. <laughs> <laughs> only people who've bought it on Bandcamp can hear it, so... Oh, is that true? Yeah, that's the only time it's uh, available. Like, the record and the iTunes versions don't have it.
2: Ooh, well, that's exciting. Yeah. All right, man, well, let's listen to this. This is also brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters, Lucas Ceballos with the 2666 and Clint Dowling and Tim Carlton in the $25 Club. This is Man to Love Like You by Mecha Mako. Mecha they- Mako. And that was Mecha Mako with the track Man to Love, Like You, in brackets, bonus, <laughs> I guess I don't need to say that, but I like to. <laughs> Brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters, Johnny Five, Emilio Astavez, and Action Jackson. And I am here with Haley Stewart. Hi. Hello. So, let's do it. Okay. Last two years, you started playing, I went to, I guess I've been to some of those shows. Yeah. So that was fun. And then there was the, <laughs> the one you did with Dana, when the fucking thing kept stopping.
3: Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah And yeah. you guys
2: uh, had had to power through That was fun
3: That was really fun I mean, I've replaced my laptop since then
2: Well, you know what? It happens to the best of them Because, you know, when I went to Dance with the Dead Last time they were here And, and Lematos opened for them and, and a similar thing happened
3: Yeah, I've seen it happen a lot And Dana gave me some really good advice She's like, I know that you tend to just go The self-deprecating route right away But, mm-hmm. you know, you can be a, a little bit less so And just pretend that everything's fine I'm like, oh Never thought about doing it that way before.
2: (laughs) Well, she's a good performer. And, and you know, when people are there and excited to see you and support you, so, uh, you know, everyone's cheering, like, whenever that happens, it's I think it's, like, the new, sort of, like, a new paradigm of live music when everyone can be sort of, like, a one-man band, but then, obviously, you're relying on, like, one piece of equipment and if something weird happens. In the case of Lamatos, it was literally, like, a USB stick, like, like a plug-in wasn't working or something, and so he took the USB stick out and it caused the whole thing to, like, shut down.
3: Oh, man.
2: You, you never know, and it's, like, when you're relying on one piece of equipment it's you know
3: it's totally different because i think that was probably my second or third show i've ever played and there's so much that you try to plan for but once you actually get up on stage and you see what setup you have there there's like so far there hasn't been a show where i've showed up and there hasn't been some weird thing i've had to like compromise with Mm -hmm. it hasn't been like a hundred percent ideal every time because half the time it's just a higher stakes mode of practice as well right (laughs) like i don't really have the most portable setup in the world so getting to practice in venues that are like that or like the rehearsal factory um i need to try to do it some more because everything can be fine once you're practicing at home in like a familiar environment and then once you introduce a totally new space with a new way of hooking up the audio you're like okay i need to learn how to do this many different ways so yeah
2: but it's important i mean that's how you learn right i mean that's the exciting thing you're getting all these lessons and fast forward
3: i know i feel like it's so overdue (laughs) to have been with dead astronauts for like over five years and never play a show (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah some catching up to do
2: so since then you guys did a little tour didn't you
3: it was very little yes okay it was like a little bundle of u.s shows yeah that was It was so much fun. This past summer, I met up with Betamax in Pittsburgh, and we hung out for a few days. Cool. We were supposed to take this really amazing van that he bought that he called the Vapor Van Mm. that had, like, all turquoise interior with, like... (laughs) changing like lights so you change the color of inside it was so sick i would love to take something like that on tour for like an extended period of time because you could honestly sleep in it and fit in enough of your own like pa equipment to just like play in a fucking like parking lot somewhere yeah it was great but the second we tried to fire it up it just it was dead there's a there's like an <laughs> issue with the With the gas line or something. So Mm -hmm. we ended up cramming everything into a pickup truck and just tarping everything that wasn't super valuable like down in the bed and hope that it didn't fly off in the highway. It was really fun. Nice. But yeah, so we had like a little tour in um Philadelphia, which I'd never been to before. And um that was really fun. It was quite the experience. Yeah, that's when they had like the inflatable like T Rexes come on stage and it was like a wild, wild scene (laughs) to say the least.
2: Like what was the actual show?
3: The show was, I was like the opener so I played my glorified karaoke set and (laughs) then um, I would come back on and do a song with Betamax. It's actually really refreshing when the only thing you have to worry about is singing and then you can actually like perform a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And half of that is just to do with practice but anyway, so that is super fun and Dana was our Headliner and she rocked it. Cool. So that was sort of our little lineup that we had, and it ended up being that way at Neon in Rhode Island. Betamax was, we were supposed to play a couple other shows that kind of fell through, but he wanted to come to Neon anyway. So I asked the organizer if it was cool if like I got a room that had two beds and if he could like just come, because obviously it's like a synthwave music festival, and it'd be pretty weird to not want him there yeah <laughs> and so yeah once we got there he basically was like listen i have all my gear with me i'm down to play for free if you want so he ended up getting added as like a last minute performer and it was like so fun and i think it was i feel like it was pretty special for the people there to have him as like a surprise guest so
2: yeah 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 it was cool i've had a few people like you know when they're telling me about uh, the rhode island thing and i'm like man that sounds like something i want to do but I don't have my damn passport But everyone already knows that already <laughs> I have to get a new passport and I gotta get.
3: Do it, you can get it and you can have it for like 15 years Yeah,
2: I know, I know <laughs> I love just the idea of how easy it is But I have this thing with forms But anyways, let's listen to this track from Mad But Soft This is called Cold Hard Ground I like this one a lot This is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters In the $25 Club, Chris Williams, Christian James, and Joey and Kendra. This is Cold Hard Ground by Mecca Mako. And that was Cold Hard Ground by Mecca Mako. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, (laughs) Frank Skanicki, Gregorio Franco, and Mike Shima. And I'm here with Haley Stewart. Talking about playing music with Betamax Live and Neon Retro Fest. Oh, yeah. So I feel like I said this exact same thing to fucking uh, Aaron Vailing last week. But anyway, like I just said. Sweet Aaron. Yeah, it's like, wouldn't it be cool if there was an event and then I sort of described what Neon Retro Fest is? Because, like, uh, I like the idea of live music and stuff, but I'm also partially an old man. And so I also like the idea of just <laughs> renting out a space in a hotel and just having rooms with booths and old video games on tables and things. And being able to actually socialize. That's what I like to do best, right? I just like to hang yeah. out and talk to people. And uh, and so I really got to get my damn passport. But you guys did, like, a Ladies of Synth panel, didn't you?
3: Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
3: good old scott fort of retro synth records hosted because he's done the ladies of synth mega album compilations mm. which are really good primers if you're feeling like all you hear are from the synth wave scene is music by guys there's mm. it's like a real eye-opener to how much um how many lady producers there are and vocalists and all that good stuff mm. so he hosted this panel at neon between myself and alex bonilla oh wow i just realized i don't know how to pronounce her last name That's
2: It looks like to me Yeah But I guess I've never Said it out loud I'll have her on the show Sometime she can tell me
3: Yeah So yeah Myself Alex From Neo LA Dana Jean Phoenix And Julie From Future Holotape And yeah it was a really nice panel. They were just kind of getting some ladies together and asking us a bunch of questions about how to support other up-and-comers in the scene and trying to get like a more female perspective on things. And I think sometimes people can feel nervous about talking about gender and music but it was such a positive panel and the room was super full which was really encouraging and um, there were lots of great questions and discussion that came from it so it was great.
2: I mean I'd like to see more ladies in the scene just because I like female vocals you know like whatever but it's an interesting topic because that's like the one place where I just feel like we're we're all equal when it comes to musical talent like I don't think I've ever heard in my life somebody say anything that's like oh guys play piano better than ladies or so, you know what I mean like <laughs> I've never heard that you yeah. know what I mean like my personal take on it is if we want to go the route of thinking that dudes the ultra nerdy sort of music dude might approach music from a more like technical point which is why there's a lot of like guy producers because a lot of the music anyways in, in this scene and like a lot of electronic music is like it's sort of like a guy producer and a lady vocalist who writes the music who sings the melody who sort of brings like the heart to the thing and the dude is the technical guy who's sitting there like fiddling with knobs for hours And like that's how these things sort of come together in a beautiful marriage of...
3: a musical marriage well yeah. i mean if you think about it that's really the the main example we've had for a really long time like at the uh ladies of synth panel i kind of described the image of like the man at the piano with the lady in the red dress sitting on the piano like singing her track or whatever mm. so i think that that is what we've had the most sort of examples with the lovely like front lady and supporting like technical guy behind the scenes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this sort of this goblin in the shadows the and go- then-
3: yeah. <laughs> but um, it was really cool I went to this Cool little convention of sorts called the Toronto Sound Festival. It was like a whole like synthesizer and analog modular festival that took place a few months ago, and um, they had a lot of really interesting panels and lots of like cool synth demos. So if you're in Toronto and want to do cool things, I highly recommend it. Want to do cool things yeah. related <laughs> to synths? And electronic I just like music. doing
2: cool things. So I don't know, cool man. Cool like...
3: things. Anyway. But it was neat because it wasn't all dudes. There were some ladies there, and I was talking with uh, someone who was like, she was a, I don't know if she was a physicist or, oh man. Anyway, I just was presented with so many alternatives to the the idea that, again, just like ladies are there for vocals, boys are there to produce. So it was really neat getting to listen to other panelists who were talking about like ambisonics and stuff. It was, it was really great.
2: What we're going to start seeing more of, because remember, I'm like 37, so, when I was growing up, a lot of the things that I think are the the foundations or the inspirations for, like, Synthwave especially, was dominated, like, boy, man, interests of that time. Like, when I grew up. Like, when I grew up and played video games, it was mostly dudes. I remember, like, girls making fun of me and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, going, like, you play video games? Like, it's, like, a childish thing. Now, everybody plays video games. So, when it comes to, like, musical talent of actual, like, just writing, producing music, like, because I will, I will go and I'll search and go, like, oh, like, maybe there's some new ladies I haven't found and stuff, and I'll find... And that there are certain genres where when it becomes like electronic music that there is a lot of female artists but it's not necessarily like synth wave. You know, it's like a lot of like dream wave, dream pop kind of stuff that I find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's part of me that goes, maybe there's just something about this sound that like appeals to dudes more, and it could just be literally because when we grew up it's based largely on like you know these science fiction movies and and video games and stuff that were kind of more guys liked at that point, and now the the culture is sort of changing, and that's great because that means more music for me to like mm-hmm. that's my sort of theory on this is maybe like just the girls didn't want to bother fooling with all these knobs, and then when they do they go, hey, this is fun.
3: who knows we should get a place to do a study and answer the question once and for all <laughs> I,
2: it would be interesting because it's art we're talking about here this isn't you know i know there's a lot of these discussions going on right now about other things when you're like oh ladies in the stem field and this stuff but when we're talking about art it's art it's like everyone can play a musical i mean if they're talented you know they like play musical instruments there's no real barrier so it is interesting to me that this genre is mostly dudes right like and so and i just want the answers. My theory is very limited.
3: Yeah, it's also about what you end up being encouraged to do, and I think some of that can be a little bit subconscious, like what you feel you should be putting your time and energy into, Right and also how, if you're a woman working on music, if um, you're growing up in like a scene where, if it's like a male-dominated scene, sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating, whether or not people mean for it to be.
2: Sure. I mean, luckily, the, the synthwave scene it, it is male-dominated, but it's nerds. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But let's not forget, all right? Because I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and one of the pioneers in electronic music, uh, a lady named uh, Delia Derbyshire, is the one who actually like put the Doctor Who theme together, which is one of the early examples of cool electronic music. Well, that was a lady, although technically the music was written by a dude, but she's the one who literally did all these fucking reel to reel things, because it was like single notes on like reel to reels to do like the fucking Doctor Who baseline and stuff. Like it's how she had to do it was like really complicated and bizarre. Yeah. But look. We gotta start talking about this new EP quick okay. Before you go So I will play a song And then we will talk about it So how do you say this word? Okia Okia You were heading towards this sound Obviously the influence that sort of guided your, your music But now you're going like full on It's experimental and interesting sounding album And this was the song that I dug I think this one's really cool And we'll we'll talk about it after we play it man But this is Interrogation Override As brought to you by some Patreon supporters Murat with a 1984 and As- Dre and Hampus ML and Ken Giroux, all awesome people. All right, now let's listen to this song. This is Interrogation Override by Mecha Mako. Was interrogation override by Mecca Mako? Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Chatterack, Pattern Shift, and Atom Force. And I'm here right now with Haley Stewart. So this EP, it's neat. I definitely haven't heard anything like it, so that's cool. Oh, cool. And there's a lot of like interesting sounds and it's sort of experimental. And and this particular track. It was my favorite Because I liked how All the elements came together Like I think You know When the song first starts At first it seems like A bunch of sort of Like random elements And I think like You know Around like two minutes in When like the synths Start coming in And that's like Oh then it actually Like all sort of Comes together
3: Oh cool Glad you liked it Yeah it's definitely Lots of building And the track Really pulls a 180 After that little intro bit The second half Of the album Incorporates some Really cool Pre-World War II Samples There's this guy who just collects all of these vintage recordings from all over the world and he has graciously shared them on a random website and i tried to contact him to be like hey i made this album using samples from some of your records like thank you i haven't been able to actually contact (laughs) but there are all these uh old recordings from traditional japanese music that was made in like the 1930s and like between 20s and 40s for this album because this whole concept behind it is set in 1930s japan i decided to use some of those records to put in some more flavor for that whole like retro futuristic vibe
2: well definitely sounds neat when did you start working on this ep
3: that's a really good question i feel like it was
2: It's <laughs> the best question i've ever asked
3: <laughs> well <laughs> Well, Mad but Soft took years to finally assemble and put out. I want to say that this definitely started maybe about halfway into 2018. And I actually managed to finish or make significant progress with this EP while in the airport on tour. Nice. Which is really fun when you just have like hours to kill at the airport, but you have your laptop and all your music stuff with you. You're like, mm, yep, here we go. <laughs> it's actually the least amount of overthinking that I've done. let's say on a record
2: my biggest problem personally is overthinking everything and i just end up regretting that i didn't put things out when i could have you know oh yeah you get in that phase where you've you've thought too much and now you're like fuck me and then like it just gets stupid and you would have been so much happier just to be finished and at least move forward
3: exactly i have a graveyard of completely finished tracks that they just aren't mastered but i don't know if that's even the sound that i want anymore like i Mm -hmm. think maybe for a retrospective it would be cool to put them out. But when I started working on these songs, I finally felt like I had a clearer vision for what I wanted the EP to be and an actual story to kind of tie in with the whole Mecca Mako name. And yeah, it was like, great let's do it and we'll put it out and everything that i've been working on up until this point can just kind of take a seat take a take it. whoa what is it <laughs> no, no back like it. burner <laughs> <laughs> have a sit
2: i'll let you keep going this is fun <laughs> take a seat old music
3: exactly exactly
2: But take a hike well no take a hike's more like get out of here take a seat is i think like you're still around but just lay low on this one
3: yeah and One of the cool things that somebody told me, it's actually the guy who runs the Toronto Sound Festival. We like met up for a little chat and he was saying that the number one most important thing to figure out as an artist is what you want to say or like what you want your sound to be. Because the options that you have are like so limitless and basically you can make anything that you really want to if you put your mind to it. So it's just a matter of deciding what that is. So that's probably why I decided to keep all this other stuff that I didn't feel as excited about on the Mm -hmm. back burner because this is what I wanted to do.
2: And it's cool, at least that it's got like a unique sound to it. Like I don't want to throw shade here, but it's always weird to me when someone goes to make music and then they choose their output to be something that's kind of derivative. I mean, that happens a bit with Synthwave, where it's like someone's like, oh, I really want to make Synthwave, and then they make a song, but they're using all the same instruments and the same tempo and the same this and that. It's fun to make music. Like, I agree, like, it is fun to sit around, but I always feel like you got to add something or do something interesting, and and at least, like, for your new EP, like, it definitely is interesting. Like, when I was listening to it, I'm like, okay, I've not heard this. So, I mean, that's a good thing.
3: I think that making something that you've heard before or making something that's totally different. They're kind of like two sides to the same coin. Trying to recreate a particular song or sound is really good practice Mm -hmm. just to get you thinking in certain ways. Like in photo school, we had an assignment where we had to basically recreate a photo that we really liked. And that was really great just as like a technical learning process yes but of course it's also difficult to make something you've never really heard before because again i think we're all just sponges kind of squeezing out our different influences and depending on what you listen to you'd be like oh this is kind of like this
2: maybe what i'm talking about is the idea that since everything is sort of public now and like you know someone will be experimenting it's like we're witnessing the learning phase and maybe Mm -hmm. in my my head i'm thinking the learning phase should be private (laughs) because i don't fault anyone who says exactly what you just said right they look at an 80s song they like or a synthwave song and they go well I'll emulate it because then that way they learn song structure they learn oh this is where a lead goes this is how the baseline works you know you put my baseline like off beat so it sounds like this blah 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 but then to release it and have an artist name and then release that song that's the weird part for me like the first part is fine it's like okay yeah you do this you're learning that's cool maybe like send it to some people for feedback and go like yeah this sounds pretty cool man because I've heard some tracks that are literally like well this is Night Call by Kavinsky Mm -hmm. and it's like, and that's what you've just made. So it's strange that you would call it something else and then have an artist name attached to it, right? I mean, I don't know. That's me talking out loud.
3: Yeah, sure is. <laughs> 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 I get it, though. It's kind of that same realization you get once you are out of school and you look at the portfolio you've put up online and you're like, oh, God, what was I thinking? I need to get rid of all of this. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I go through those phases as well, which is why, again, it can be good to work really hard on something and then put it out or you can decide, mm, I don't know if I want this to be attached to me right so i really like experimenting and i've been trying to for a long time i was trying to compartmentalize those things between different artist names but i don't know with this i felt people would be interested enough and uh i shouldn't pretend to be somebody else with it
2: see there you go this is an important life lesson to everybody right
3: maybe Well, here, here's the thing. The, the real reason is I figured if I left dead astronauts because I wanted to do my own thing without consequence or compromise, really, yeah. then why why not take risks and play around? And who knows? Maybe every album you hear from me moving forward will be completely different. But if that's how I want to do it, that's that's how I'll do it. And I hope that you stick around for it.
2: Listen, I'll be here. That's the bottom line. But look,
3: fantastic.
2: <laughs> so people should go check it out. The new EP. Right?
3: Yeah, they should. It's on, um, (laughs) if you want, I'm actually pressing vinyl for this one. Mm -hmm. So that is all going to be created in Canada, which means that if I'm shipping them out, I can sign them if you want. You can get that at mechamako.bandcamp.com. Or if you would like to just get it digitally, it will be on Spotify, iTunes, uh, all those things. And um, I'm releasing it with Zoe Records, who are fantastic. I know a lot of the time some people will be like, hey, how can I just give you money for this and not the label, but Zoe is awesome. Please do not feel bad giving them your money because they've really helped out a lot, and yeah, they're great. Cool. There is going to be a remix EP coming out with some remixes. Yeah, they're all sort of non-synthwave artists, but I think they're people that you really like. So that will be coming out, and two of those remixes are on the vinyl already. Ooh. So we have uh, Bogdan Drazik I think is how you pronounce his name, and uh, Jesse Kwa, and Jessica Kwa is also a zoe records artist and bogdan is a trilogy tapes gallo disco very quirky electronic ebm dude sure he is awesome
2: cool well i hope you have a lovely day this is my wrap up it's great thank you (laughs) Well, it's cold outside, and it's starting to rain.
3: Yeah, what the hell is up with that? Oh, it's going to be really, icy. uh... Yeah, I know, Ugh, Toronto.
2: Because right before we started recording, I was just walking my son to school, and I had my fucking umbrella, and I'm like, what the fuck? I can look out the window <laughs> right now. I see, like, there's little water dripping off the trees. Ah, crap.
0: that ah, crap.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, look, it was lovely to talk to you. Likewise. And I hope uh, people go check out uh, your album, because it sounds cool, and it was uh, nice catching up.
3: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
2: Alright, and that was my catch-up with Mecha Mako. Always fun to chat with Haley, And, uh, yeah, we're gonna be talking to Blood and Chrome in just a bit. Maybe I should listen to another song first? <laughs> like, yeah, me, just me. I'm just gonna put my headphones on and just quietly listen. Haha, <laughs> that'd be absurd. You're gonna hear the song, too. What should we play? Well, how about this? Here's a song. This is Scandroid. This is a Volcor X remix of a Scandroid track, and I dig this one. I like the chorus. It's fun. This is Phoenix by Scandroid, the Volcor X remix. And that was Scandroid with the track Phoenix, the Volcor X Remix. And uh, what the hell, let's uh, do some shout out to some uh, $10 patrons. That was brought to you by my awesome supporters, Fraser Davidson, known S.O., oh, he's a new guy, Gary Heather, Knight of Ducks, Andrew Benson, Robert Wolf, and Mads Baron Christensen. Uh, remember, if you want to support the show, uh, if you enjoy it, or if you don't, if you don't, Support it more. (laughs) That's my... (laughs) That's my new tactic. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash Synth and uh, become a patron of the show. Or if you don't like Patreon for whatever reason, if you go to beyondsynth.com, there is a support the show PayPal button right there. You can do a one-time donation or you can even do a subscription service similar to Patreon where uh, you can choose a, an amount that it will uh, donate once a month. So please, uh, please do that if you like the show because that's what keeps this show Rolling along. Anyways, how about we go chat with Blood and Chrome right now? Well, I am here with blood and chrome.
4: Yes. How do you uh, say your name? Basil. You can just call him Baz for short. Nice and easy.
2: Is that what your friends call you?
4: I don't have any friends. (laughs) (laughs)
2: So look, man, you're a talented artist, is that correct? I'm just an artist.
4: Talented, nah, who knows.
2: Well, you've definitely done some fucking cool shit, we'll say that. So first of all, let's just explain. So you've been around the synthwave scene for a long time doing uh, cover artworks and stuff like that for people? Yeah, a couple years
4: since... 2014 i'd say
2: and you've also done some cool sort of animation work as well so that was the the last thing i saw was you had a kickstarter for like a card game that's
4: right yeah magnum force
2: and it was like a fully animated trailer and it was so really fucking good thank you it took a
4: long time to do that one yeah
2: was that all yourself like you do that all by yourself
4: yes it was all by myself i do everything by myself, I'm a lonely guy. Okay,
2: <laughs> is that going to be the running theme through this? Pretty
4: much. <laughs> no friends, no life. Just me and my computer.
2: So, if people haven't seen it, they should go and watch it. What was the the game called?
4: It's Magnum Force. It's uh, it's it's just a regular card game, like you know, like poker and. You know it's like a custom deck of cards
2: the trailer that you did this fully sort of animated trailer it's so good like it was really good it must have been a super painstaking process especially if it was just you doing it like it seemed that the animation seemed very fluid the art was good the effects were cool like if you paid somebody to do that that would have cost a lot of money is what i'm trying
4: to say yes correct <laughs> uh it took me <laughs> it took me a year to do in between like client work and stuff. But uh, still, I wasn't going to do a whole animated thing. Originally, I was approached by uh, this guy who owns like an online playing card, like custom deck website where he sells like custom artisan decks and stuff. And he approached me about making something that was like 80s themed. And I was like, okay, let's do uh, something that's like an 80s cartoon. I made a bunch of characters and I designed the cards. Thinking about the pitch video, I was just going to do like basically just the latter part of the animation that you saw with the cards sort of being thrown around and flying around and stuff like that. You know, I got this idea that I was going to make like an 80s style cartoon intro, but I didn't really know if I could pull it off. So I was just like, I don't, you know, I might do it. I might not. Finally, I decided to do it, and it was very long and arduous and painful. And you know, a lot of times I, you know, almost quit. It kind of broke me because <laughs> I was like, you know, I had so many times where I was just like, "God, I suck. I can't do this." But uh, <laughs> you know, it came together over many, many months. And you know, I learned a lot during the making of it because when I started, I wasn't quite sure how to how to do it. And what I ended up doing was I used, like, 3D models and stuff to set the poses and, you know, the keyframes and stuff like that. And then in Photoshop, I drew over that frame by frame, and that's how I got the final result.
2: Oh, wow, man. Well, yeah, it's super impressive. I always had this impression that you were, like, from Portugal or something or some country around there, and I don't know why. Where are you based? Yeah, I live in Portugal right now. So why don't you have an accent? (laughs) Sorry.
4: I can do an accent if you want. <laughs> no, because like you don't
2: really have a discernible accent. So like, no. explain this to me. Okay.
4: Well, I'm not... I'm, <laughs> 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 okay. I'm not Portuguese. Okay. I have some family here and uh, I've lived here. Before, but I've traveled around a lot, lived in the states for a little while as well, and I kind of picked up somewhat of a an American accent from there. But also from you know watching movies and TV shows and stuff. From the time that I was really young, I, I kind of spoke this way. I spoke English in the house because neither of my parents could communicate with each other except in English because they didn't speak each other's language, and I didn't end up really learning there. Languages, So i just been speaking English my whole life. There never really was much of an accent to begin with. Okay. It was always kind of like this, yeah. All
2: right, that makes sense. My my problem has been solved.
4: (laughs) Like, how many languages do you speak? Really, I, I only speak English fluently. I mean, I speak Portuguese, obviously. I've been living here for a little while. When I was younger, I spoke Polish. That's my mother's native tongue. But I haven't spoken that in a long, long time. So I've forgotten it. My father's native tongue is Arabic, and I used to speak that as well, but if I don't speak it on the regular, it just goes away. But I'm sure like if I were re-exposed to it at some point, it will sort of come back, but I just speak English now because... That's what everybody speaks, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great language. It's fantastic.
2: Well, uh, you know what else is fantastic is uh, music. So let's listen to this track by Alpha Chrome Yayo. And that, of course, uh, brought to you by my lovely Patreon supporters, Sarah Bueckleman and Justin Armour. And this track is Cut Class Hall Pass Mall Dash by Alpha Chrome Yayo. And that was Alpha Chrome Yayo with a little ditty called Cut Class Hall Pass Mall Dash brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters The Patch Bay and Rachel Buchelman. And we're back with artist and animator Blood and Chrome Basil or Baz for short. And, uh, and we were just chatting about your Magnum Force Kickstarter trailer. But when did you start doing the
4: art? When I was very young, I mean, in school and stuff, I was always drawing in my notebooks instead of doing any schoolwork. You know, I'd fill up uh, the margins and stuff with little doodles. Well, I used to have sketchbooks filled with drawings from my younger years. And uh, you know, I went through a period when I was like 11 or 12 where I drew nothing except naked women. (laughs) (laughs) That's lost to time now. But uh, yeah, like I was always drawing, you know, like I was kind of an introverted kid. So I was always like lost in in my little notebook or little pieces of paper or whatever, just drawing. I stopped doing it as I got older and went to college and tried to do something respectable like like a business degree or something, but it never really worked out because uh, I just found that stuff boring. Did you graduate? No. Like, did you get a business degree? No. I'm a dropout. I'm, <laughs> I'm a complete waste of space, man. <laughs> ah, whatever. I did end up working at a bank, but it was like, you know, kind of like a lowly tech support job. I've had loads of jobs. Like, I've worked at every kind of job you can think of. But uh, the last job I had, which I got laid off from like in around 2008, because they were just laying off a bunch of people. And I was one of the first on the chopping block because I wasn't any good at my job. And uh, right at the tail end of that, I started doing portraits or like little drawings of my coworkers and stuff and I was charging them like 10-20 dollars a pop and I was like you know in the back of my mind I was thinking ah, maybe I can you know rekindle my relationship with art and then I got laid off and then I decided okay fuck it I'll just go for it and so I started like trying to get you know work as an illustrator, I started doing, uh, graphics for mobile games, just, you know, for, you know, one man developer operations kind of thing, like really nothing jobs, I guess you could say, but started to build up a portfolio. And then I discovered synthwave a few years after that. It was another like boost because I was getting tired of, uh, the work I was doing because it was, you know, it was just not really fulfilling for me because, you know, I was drawing like little cutesy characters and stuff like that. And I was like, ah, this is kind of late. And then, uh, a friend of mine showed me his, playlist on youtube of all these synthwave music i was stunned you know i was like wow this this is amazing i had no idea that it existed i started to get into the music more and more and i discovered the community on facebook like synthetics and then your show as well like it was one of the first things that came up from uh, discovering synthwave so i you know i started to get into it. Eventually, I started doing artwork for some artists and uh, from there, it leads to here.
2: What were some of the first ones you did, like the actual Synthwave covers?
4: Very first thing I did, I think, was uh, for Android Automatic. I did a, a logo illustration for them, like chrome and neon kind of thing. And then I did one for uh, Phaserland and uh, cover for um, Highway Superstar. I did one for Arc Neon. Grooveworthy. I did a logo illustration for him. Those were some of the first. I was looking at a lot of the artwork that was already out there. Some of the guys that were already doing it were um, Chrome and Lightning, you know, Jared Overglow, Dwayne from uh, Master Control Program.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I have a plan now that I, I'm going to try and start talking to more uh, like visual artists as well.
4: Yeah, that's great, man
2: involved in the scene, and I'm probably going to go with it in, like, the wrong order. This always happens, you know, like, where I come up with an idea, and then it'll be, like, ten years down the road where I'm like, oh, yeah, why have I never talked to so-and-so? You know, like, the biggest one, but, like, with Blood and Chrome, I mean, I've know i known your logo designs that you've you've done for people since the very beginning, and so this this is a weird thing to say, but sometimes you take certain people's talent for granted. I I think that's why I want to have more visual artists on, because the visual art sometimes is such a key component in, in a synthwave album, you know, like, it really sort of sets the the tone Mm -hmm. and oftentimes we're not talking about that you know we're always talking about the music and meanwhile someone just does this oh that's the logo design that somebody did for free for me like five years ago that I'm still using because it perfectly encapsulates like (laughs) my brand you know and and uh yeah so that's why
4: i think it's it's important to talk to you guys yeah totally if you're going like through a timeline i should probably be the last one on there but uh you did talk to james white from signal of signal noise
2: yeah i did a signal noise and then mizu cap but she does like uh, the console painting and stuff that's right i want to talk to ariel i haven't talked to him yeah Um, definitely he did some stuff for me and I mean there's a bunch of people I I had a list see I think it was like three years ago I had an idea to do like an artist episode you know where maybe I did like short interviews with a bunch of artists and then putting them all in the same one Mm -hmm. but now I just like actually focusing on individual artists you know I think that's uh, I think that's but you know what I'm saying anyway look we got to listen to another track so uh, here is Rulmino with the tune Neon Jungle which is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters Digital Dreams and Eli Garnier, this is Rulmino with Neon Jungle. And that was Rulmino with Neon Jungle, brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters, Martin Larby and Playmaker Media. And we're back with Baz, uh, a.k.a. Blood and Chrome. So I know we're getting a little technical here, but what uh, software do you use?
4: When I started, it was mostly Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator. Adobe Illustrator has a way that you can do 3D, like, You know, if I design the logo, I can extrude it to make it look three D. And I I did that at first. But nowadays if I'm doing three D I'm using Blender for all my three D stuff. And, you know, it's excellent. It's open source, it's free and it's really powerful and it does just about everything I needed to.
2: Expand a bit on what you did for the animation, because, so, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you um, use 3D characters to, like, do the positions, and then you sort of, like, painted over them in
4: Photoshop? That's right. For most of the characters, some of the characters were completely hand-drawn, but uh, a lot of them, it would have taken far too long for me to draw them frame by frame from scratch. What I did was I'd, I'd build, like, really... Simple model in, in in Blender, and I'd rig it up with an armature so I could move it around. And so I designed the pose and like the movement, and then export that into uh, Photoshop. And Photoshop's got like an animated timeline that you can use that you could draw frame by frame over over a certain amount of time. Yeah, that's basically how I did it.
2: Because I know some people who use like that Toon Boom.
4: Yeah, there's Toon Boom. There's uh, TV Paint. There's all kinds of software out there, and they're all very, very expensive.
2: In Photoshop, though, do you have the option to do, like, were you just, since you had the 3D animation sort of, like, running behind, did you have any need to see the previous frame? Because I know, like, in Toon Boom and those things, they're designed, you know, so you have the onion skin is what it's called, where you you see the previous frame. So, can you do that in Photoshop? Oh, yeah, yeah.
4: It's got onion skinning, yeah. There's a, forget what it's called now, but there's a plug-in you can get that... Makes animating much easier. It basically puts all the major uh, functions of like the animation features into little buttons. So you can do onion skinning, you can set the frame rate, do all kinds of stuff.
2: How many frames a second was the animation you did?
4: It was 12 frames per second. I think it would have taken far too long to do it at 24. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like I, I thought about doing 24, but then, you know, I went back and I looked at a lot of the references. The animation from, like, Thundercats and He-Man and things like that. And I noticed that they were really only 12 frames per second. And they still managed to make it smooth and uh, and fluid. You know, that was just down to picking the right uh, keyframes and making sure the in-betweens were done a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I learned a lot doing it. 12 frames per second. But it still turned out to be a whole bunch of frames. Like, each character has, like maybe 50 to 60 frames a piece and there's six of them i think so you know do the math that's like 300 individual drawings basically Mm -hmm. give or take a few the one character i did completely by hand just in photoshop was near the end We've, we've got that little uh like snarf care bear looking thing that i did completely by hand and that was sort of one of the last things I did, and I got comfortable kind of drawing each frame without needing any 3D reference, so... You know, I figured having at least one of those would help sell the uh, traditionally animated vibe that I was going for.
2: I wish like more cartoons nowadays sort of looked like that because so many of the cartoons that, you know, I see that my son watches or whatever, there's such a crispness when it's all done digitally. Yeah. And I don't particularly care for it. First of all, the flash animation type stuff just bugs me. Like there's a lot of kids shows where, you know, they're obviously just moving around digital puppets.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's fine, but it's not, it doesn't excite me. Like, I I can sort of see how they're doing it. Like, in After Effects now, there's even like this thing called Character Animator where you, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You get your webcam to actually film your face and then it moves the face on the guy. Like, that's right. It's cool if you want to do like South Park style animation. You could probably whip together a cartoon. There's a place for
4: that, especially with something like South Park. If the show is good and it's funny. The animation just has to be good enough to get the point across. It's it's obvious why they do it. It's because it takes much less time to do. Yes. And if these guys have to pump out weekly episodes on a regular basis, then having to do it hand-animated like they used to, it's a grind. Yeah. Like even the old stuff, like if you go back and you watch He-Man, you notice how a lot of times they're just standing there and they're not doing much you know
2: yeah like when i was a kid i used to watch there was this cartoon that came on in the morning from the 60s called hercules right and hercules was fucking notorious for all the ways they would get around animating characters so they'd always be like walking behind bushes so that you <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have to see their legs and no so legs, all, so yeah. all it would be is that their torso would just sort of like move up and down and like their arms would be in the same position and stuff even as a kid like i remember like what the fuck is this oh yeah but then there's some examples. Uh, like classic examples of amazing animation like I bought the Looney Tunes collection the platinum collection on Blu-ray of all the old Bugs Bunny cartoons from like the 40s and stuff and when I was a kid for some reason I remembered them being bad animation I think it's just because it was Hmm. old like I think I was confused like I just thought like old equals cheap Right. the same with the old Spider-Man cartoon as well because I remember when (laughs) I was young I used to be like oh that old Spider-Man cartoon is just as poorly animated as Hercules but then when I bought the box set I realized oh no no like It's actually good. The first season of it is good. Mm -hmm. And then when Ralph Bakshi takes over, that's when the show goes all fucking wonky because then all the skies are always like these weird water, like green watercolor paintings. And they reused the animation cells. So, like, Spider Man, instead of swinging like twice to get to a place, he would swing for like three minutes (laughs) because they were just trying to save on. Yeah. It was also because they did lose their money and, like, it was budget-saving reason, but it's still, like, sure. anyway.
4: Yeah, used a lot of those tricks back then. Like, shows like the Flintstones as well, you know, like, <laughs> all that stuff. Scooby-Doo. Like, after the Looney Tunes stuff, it sort of went the way of limited animation. Because, you know, they're, they're animating for TV and they're doing it on a more regular basis. Basis, because the Looney Tune stuff was meant for, you know, they'd play those in, in front of movies, like in the theater, so mm-hmm. they'd come out much less regularly, like maybe once or twice three times a year or something like that. So the animators had a lot more time to sit there and put in the work, you know?
2: When I was a kid, I wasn't experiencing it the way that it was intended, right? Because they would just collect them into this fucking, like, it was called the Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's when I
2: was like, the Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show! And like, (laughs) so we'd watch all these just collection of things without acknowledging, like, the amount of work that went into them. Because the animation is so good in those things. Like, it's so fluid. But, uh, look, before we get too carried away, uh, we should... some more music so here is a cool one by contre attack which is uh i believe it's french for counter attack uh brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters ashley keegan and fucking slunks and uh this is contre attack with a good day to
0: die
2: Was a Good Day to Die by contre Attack, brought to you by my uh, awesome patrons, Greg Smith and Blake Peterson. And I'm talking to artist Blood and Chrome, and we were just reminiscing about old Warner Brothers cartoons, which got me thinking about just new cartoons in general and, like, some of the effects that they use, and some of them, I don't know, there's some new effects in cartoons now that just bug me. There's like three in particular. Mm -hmm. I just said three without realizing if I can fill up three in my list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm even holding up three fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And this is an audio conversation. All right.
4: I got you for three minutes of playtime.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're going nowhere. I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of
2: I'll watch those, like, you know, direct-to-video Warner Brothers, like, Batman cartoons that they make now. Yeah. Whenever there's motion in a fight scene, they do, like, this sort of digital kind of motion blur right. of the characters to make it look like they're moving quickly. But you can tell it's not like there's frames of animation in between that movement. They're just sort of adding a weird blur to it. Do you know what I'm talking about, that effect? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't like it. So that's one thing I don't like. <laughs> No, sir. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) To me, a lot of the new
0: cartoons,
2: they just look too clean. When I was watching your trailer, Uh I mean, I know you're doing it digitally, obviously. Like, I understand that. But just the nature of the way the characters are drawn and the way that they're moving Uh was like, why can't more cartoons look like this? Like, this is like, I want to watch a cartoon that looks like I want you to get a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) and make a fucking show like because that's what I want to see like I don't like this weird super crisp digital looking like all the cartoons kind of look the same all the art style is sort of quasi anime kind of style with the character designs now like there's so much stuff I'm watching that just kind of it looks the same and I don't like the tricks they're doing to pad out the frames
4: yeah I know what you mean
2: I can't explain that weird motion blur, but it's in all the fight scenes. Like, every time, like, characters are fighting now, there's always this weird motion blur that happens, and I just find it distracting. Mm -hmm. When I go back and watch Ghostbusters, Transformers, I mean, Transformers sometimes looks like it's, like, five frames a second, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I still like that better, because it feels like every frame was actually, like, drawn.
4: There's something different about it. That's right. Well, they had to... Back then, they weren't using uh, software. Everything had to be drawn first on paper and then cells. They do everything physically right there, you know, like in physical reality. So that's why you get that look. And I tried to recreate that digitally by, you know, like in some cases, I would forget to color certain things on purpose. You know how like shows like Transformers and stuff sometimes the colors would be off sometimes
0: yeah a lot (laughs) of times
2: I don't think there's a single episode of Transformers where there isn't one shot where a Transformer is the complete wrong color or the wrong voice comes out of the I I don't think there's one yeah, where there's not one shot where it cuts back to Soundwave and there's like a different voice coming out of him but his mouth is moving that's right Or they're all
4: completely the wrong size like he's way too small (laughs) or way too big (laughs) like
2: Transformers, it's funny because I love Transformers, but it is pretty poorly animated when you actually watch it. Like, there's some shots that are cool, but at the same time, I still prefer it, you know what I mean? Because I still feel like, hey, man, this is a, you know, even though it was a toy commercial, it still feels more real to me than a lot of these, the new digital ones.
4: That's right. I agree.
2: I I might have a prejudice here. Like, it's the exact same thing when we talk about, you know, CGI versus uh, practical practical effects and stuff. And here's my question. Mm-hmm. And I think I was talking to somebody else about this, and I don't know why people don't do this. So right now we're in this sort of period where there's a lot of '80s resurgence, right? And people are, you know, when they do like an '80s homage thing, and they try like Stranger Things, for example, you know, where they try and film it with like make the color kind of look like it's you know filmed with '80s cameras, and mm-hmm. you know the the Stranger Things title sequence, which is like the best part of the show. <laughs> You know, they've added like film grain and stuff in, in there yeah. and sort of like a little bit of shake and wobble to the letters, you know, like they would have back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't they do this to cartoons? like the new digital cartoons like just add a bit of fucking grain here and there and like maybe add a bit of wobble to the thing to sort of give it that because we're in this nostalgia right now and they're doing that to movies and things but the cartoons are all like super crisp and I almost feel like maybe if they applied some of these tricks to a digital animations like maybe I would make it kind of cooler for my eye like oh did you see the music video for Donald Glover's last one the Childish Gambino it's completely animated it's like he's walking down the street it's like feels like Summer. It's a good song, okay. but that one, I, I like the style of that one.
4: I'll have to check that
2: out. Yeah, check it out. It's animated, but it seems like it's aged a bit, and it seems like hand-drawn frames. Right. Um, anyway, whatever. Sorry.
4: No, I know what you mean. Like, adding that aged look, even though it's basically a fake effect... Mm-hmm. like i try to add it to everything i've done cuz it makes it feel like it's like sprinkling a bit of magic on it or something you know for <laughs> lack of a, <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe it that's one of my favorite parts of the process is going in at the end and adding like that sort of grit and that dirt and a little bit of wobbly wobbly bleh. can't mm. say that word shakiness <laughs> here and there yeah 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 biba yeah. But yeah, like I I love that And uh, I like when I see it out in the wild I see a YouTube video that does it right And I'm like, oh, that's nice, it feels good So yeah, I don't know why they don't add it in modern cartoons I guess it's just an extra step in post-processing that They don't feel as necessary.
2: I think the other thing I noticed that bugs me a bit, maybe it's just because when I can understand how they do it. So, you know, like in new cartoons as well, when anything zooms into the frame, if something's Mm -hmm. in the background and comes into the foreground, like a car or a character, they're clearly taking the animation and then just zooming it in. They're digitally zooming in a thing. Whereas like in the old days when they would animate, you know when a character was in the background you knew they drew the character small because the lines would still be sort of the same thickness right like you couldn't really make right. the lines any thinner
4: that's right yeah so
2: now you can really tell like when there's a shot of like a car coming right at the camera and they, they've just sort of pulled it in digitally yeah. instead of actually drawn the frames of a small car becoming a large car yeah. and that's an, another thing when i see that trick and i'm just like ah it just makes things look so cheap because i know i know how you do that i'm like i know like oh they're in after effects or some other program they've just keyframed it small to big and like it 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 doesn't match it's like i feel like with old cartoons i mean everything was just hand drawn so it was all done in camera you know
4: yeah that's right they had to draw every single frame of that car getting bigger i did a little bit of that in the middle of the Magnum force video where um well, I did a lot of that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, you know, the guy that's got his guns and he's shooting, he starts out really big in frame and then he recedes into the background until he's really tiny. And all of that was just drawn. That kind of stuff is, is kind of tedious because you're drawing the same thing over and over again, but smaller. And it's just, uh, when am I going to be finished with this? But again, like the results, it's why I, I did it. I knew that the results were going to look the way I wanted it to. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to take any shortcuts or cheat with it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I like you, man. You're an honest dude. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, we have to uh, listen to more music. So here is a song by Jason Priest from the album King Kill 33 Degrees. Brought to you by my uh, awesome Patreon supporters, Tristan Waits and Skunk Raider. This is Jason Priest with the track, Fire. And, uh, and if I'm being honest again, it's F-I-R-E. But you get what I'm saying. by Jason Priest. And uh, that's a cool track that was brought to you by my awesome patrons, Colin Bennett and Will Lowe. And today I am uh, chatting with Baz, also known as Artist Blood and Chrome. And for people listening, you gotta go see the Magnum Force Kickstarter video. All right like it's so impressive and I feel foolish cuz I was late to it you know like I have so much stuff to look at and listen to a listener sent me the link a while ago and I, and I didn't know it was you mm-hmm. so I just saw this link and someone posted like hey check out this 80s thing and I'm like okay whatever like I'll do it in a while right. and then when I finally watched it I was, I was just mad at myself that I didn't watch it sooner. <laughs> it is one of the most impressive things I've seen come out of like, I'm going to say this scene. Right. It's so professional looking. And I, I don't mean that in a weird condescending way. Like, I, I'm saying like, this thing looks so fucking good. That's not condescending. <laughs> well, no, but it sounds like when I say that, it's just like, oh, I'm so surprised that you did good work, Basil. But
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised too. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? I did that?
2: fuck it's just wow and i just want to see and in a way it annoys me because i want to see more stuff look like that no i mean i get it obviously it's a ton of work yeah but i would love to see just like a a a new cartoon animated in that way because it reminded me of the things i liked because i know because everything now just with all the stupid digital tricks and the way everything's so crisp and clean it just i'm not a fan of the way cartoons look like i can't get into them as as much and i want to
4: (laughs) I haven't seen anything new for a while that's animated. The exception of maybe Rick and Morty, I like that a lot, even though it's it's still got that crisp look to it. But I think the character designs and the characters themselves and and the stories carry the show just enough for it to be interesting. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's very well animated, too. But, you know, it would be nice to see something yeah like you said fully animated from beginning to end but I think it's it just comes down to a question of time and money Mm -hmm. is anybody willing to spend the time to produce a show like that and the money on it when they can make something far cheaper and take far less time and still get the same return on their investment or whatever Yeah, all that business malarkey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> I think we'd all know a bit
2: more about this had you graduated the class
4: yeah gosh
2: accounting that was the
4: thing that got me Fuck, accounting <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what, what then are your uh, artistic sort of inspirations like what's the stuff that you like that sort of
4: inspires you There's a lot of stuff. We were talking about Looney Tunes. I used to watch that stuff all the time. The old Tom and Jerry cartoons as well. Coyote and Roadrunner. Those are my favorites. That's Chuck Jones. Like, I love his work. And then all the Tex Avery stuff from Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. When he did these really exaggerated expressions and, you know, all that stuff was great. Of course, the 80s stuff we grew up with, He-Man, Thundercats, etc., and then m- most recently, like if we're talking about contemporaries, like Signal Noise, when I first saw his work, I was like, wow, okay. I really wanted to get into like the synthwave a- aesthetic and his work among some of the other guys like Overglow, Master Control Program, Chrome and Lightning, etc. Sort of gave me the uh, drive, no pun intended, <laughs> the drive to <laughs> sort of uh, to get into it, so... And then, you know, like artists like Frank Frazetta, love his work. I used to read a lot of heavy metal magazine for a while. And there's an artist in there. He did a comic called FAKK2. His name is Simon Bisley. And he's like Frank Frazetta on steroids. (laughs) And I just love that style. And anything that's like exaggerated and kind of crazy looking. I really, really like.
2: I'm trying to think of the old Warner Brothers ones that I love the most, but I think Yeah. The thing that made me laugh the most, though, and I remember this, it's the stupidest gag. I don't know why it still makes me laugh, even when I think about it, but it was one of the ones where Bugs Bunny's facing off against Yosemite Sam. There's a part where he throws a banana peel down, and then Yosemite Sam runs, and then he stops, and he just sort of slows down right in front of the banana peel, mm-hmm. but then... Because <laughs> he sees it, and then he slows down, and then... <laughs> He's going slow, and then the second he touches the banana peel, he just, like, flies and fast-forward, like, out of the plane. <laughs> it's, like, it's so stupid. And I still laugh about that when I think like, yeah. it's uh, so this, fucking
4: dumb. There's so many, like... I wish I could remember half of them. Give me some of the Disney stuff. Like you ever seen uh, Goofy Gymnastics where he buys like this little gym kit and he sets it up in his apartment and he's try- <laughs> you know, he's trying to like exercise and he just keeps fucking up <laughs> until by the end it's a complete disaster. That's that's a classic. You should see that.
2: I had I used to have this tape uh, that my dad made. It had like a an old like Winnie the Pooh movie on it or something and it had a few Disney shorts at the start and one of them was Goofy These were the only Disney ones I ever watched because it was just the only tape I had. Mm -hmm. The one with Goofy was he he becomes a photographer and so he gets, like, a camera kit and a film and he's, like, he's doing, like, a tutorial on how to take pictures and then he ends up getting, like, chased by a bear through, like, an amusement
4: park. Kind of rings a bell. Not sure. I've seen so many of these. When I
2: was young, I used to think the Warner Brothers ones are the cool ones because they're more violent than the Disney ones. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is true, but the Disney ones were pretty well animated as well. Like, nice, smooth. You know, even the Disney shows are are pretty well animated. Like Gummy Bears and stuff. Yeah,
4: yeah. That's definitely what I remember from back in the day. The theme song was great to that. Oh, I love Gummy, Gummy, Gummy bears. bears. Oh, yeah. Nope.
1: Gummy Bears. Yeah. <laughs> Bouncing <laughs> here and there and everywhere. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I love uh, I love Gummy Bears. <laughs> I think I, in like 2008 or something, I did like this cover of that song, right? Oh, yeah? Put it on my... I like, need to hear this. No, oh, that's terrible. It's uh, very auto-tuned because I'm not a good singer.
1: Dashing and
2: daring, courageous and caring, faithful and friendly with stories to share. All through the forest, they sing out in chorus, marching
1: along while their song fills the
0: That
2: was probably my favorite of the Disney ones. I like DuckTales as well. I think I like Gummy Bears better, but like DuckTales I enjoy. Chippendales, I like the song.
4: What about Darkwing Duck? Remember Darkwing Duck?
2: I do, but Darkwing Duck came right at the time where I was sort of done with... The like you know, you know how, like, when you you, you look at your age and you can see, like, oh, if I was just a year younger or a year older, yeah, yeah. Um, this is the thing I always have with um, Mike, uh, hoo ha, Mm because he's four years younger than me, so he ends up liking all of these, like, stupid 90s movies that I just kind of wrote off because, like, they're not important to me, and so, and I started realizing, like, oh, just what that age difference means for certain pop culture references. That's true, yeah. I was just Too old to
4: like Power Rangers. I'm with you on that because I'm also uh, near and around the same age as you, and uh, once power rangers came on the scene i was like fuck this (laughs)
2: to me i think there's a few things in that pile it's like power rangers if i was like even maybe a year younger i might have been like hey power rangers is cool but i was just right at that time where i was like watching like batman the animated series and stuff and i was like that was just so much better you know of a show
4: yeah absolutely it was more of a an adult Kind of thing. That's when your your tastes sort of shift towards the darker stuff.
2: Yeah, you're totally right. And and another thing I like is uh, listening to music. So let's do that. <laughs> so here is a, a cool one from Zayaz. My brain's turning to mush. I keep forgetting if it's Zayaz or Zayaz. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Poly Digital, and with the 808 IP68. And this is Brain Frame by Zayaz. Mm-hmm. was Brain Frame by Zayaz. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters with the 777 Skywolf. And PayPal supporter, the Rosconian. Still got to figure out how to integrate that other thing. But anyways, we'll worry about that later. Because right now, I'm talking to Blood and Chrome about being too old for Power Rangers all those years
4: ago. I remember before Power Rangers ever came out, where I was living, the TV station imported a couple of Japanese versions a couple of years before Power Rangers even existed. And I was watching those, and I liked those. Because hmm. they were actually a lot more like adult oriented you know like their people were dying you know like that kind of thing you know how the japanese do things you know their stories are very nuanced i guess sure not just you know it's not just straight ahead good guys versus bad guys like there's layers of gray so i remember even at age like 12 or whatever i could appreciate that kind of thing and Power Rangers was sort of watered down, way too simplistic. And so, you know, definitely lost interest at that point.
2: Yeah, it's also just the goofiness, I think, bugged me. It's the same as, like, you know, when you watch Power Rangers, and even though they're fighting things, it's not really cool because there's no, like, impact to the fight sequences. It's like, I remember when smash brothers came out on right. the n64 i remember it bugged me because in the american version or the north american version because i'm in canada mm-hmm. for some reason they changed the punching sound effects to sound like bowling pins huh. when you'd punch it wouldn't sound like a punch it would sound like a bowling pin and like when people got knocked over it sounded like a strike you know like that bowling sound effect yeah yeah, yeah. they did that on purpose i guess it was more family friendly or whatever but mm-hmm. I remember just really not liking that they've since changed it now like I mean with the newer games they don't do that anymore but they and I think it was actually just the North American version of the game that did
4: that was that around the time when the whole Mortal Kombat thing was an issue
2: yeah like the N64 time well yeah like right around that time that period of years after GoldenEye that was like the first major you know like not to go dark here but you know like school shooting you know like Columbine right, there was like right, a trickle down effect of it video games because video games was the thing being blamed I still have in my attic somewhere the original, so there's a game on N64 called Shadow Man.
4: Yeah, I remember Shadow Man.
2: Yeah, see, I, I like Shadow Man a lot, although it has a one annoying sound effect that when I go back to try and play it, like, the main gun you have when you go into Dark Side world, mm-hmm. it's like this soul gun, it's like a handgun that shoots out like a skull, and the sound it makes is so annoying. <laughs> it's like the fucking worst. The sound is so shitty, and then it's the same sound over and over again, like there's no change, so if you keep on Mashing the gun button, mm-hmm. it's just this this stupid sound, and it's like so loud. Anyway, what was my point? Oh, yeah, so the the <laughs> but like the game was cool. I remember the game was cool. And the original poster is he's holding a handgun and pointing it at the camera. Yeah. And I still have that. I mean, not the full poster, but like the, the one that when you used to buy like video games, you know, they used to come there. You always used to be like a poster inside for like the game and like an advertisement for another game by that company. Mm-hmm. One side is Turok and the other side is like some other game made by Acclaim. Right. And they changed it. So right around when Columbine happened and people started getting weird, about uh, video game violence, they changed it so he was holding a skull instead of a gun. It's the same artwork, but he's holding a skull instead. And that's, I think, what made it to the box. But the poster had the guns. And then Perfect Dark, the successor to GoldenEye, was going to have an option where if you had Game Boy Camera, you could take a picture of your face and put it... On a character right. and then they got rid of that feature specifically because you know they had no control over what people were going to take pictures of and so <laughs> it was another thing that was like out of their control and they didn't want to have like some controversy with video game violence and then there was like a whole bunch of little things like that like I think there was another one too maybe one of those games where you're uh, was it Vigilante 8 hmm. maybe like where there was a school bus character that they maybe changed or something because it was it was like Twisted Metal where you're like vehicle combat and I think one of the Right, characters was a school
4: bus, and I remember there was a game called Carmageddon. Do you remember that one? I think it was on PC. They made the blood green instead of humans that you were running over. you were running over zombies, and their blood was green.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the 90s was funny for stuff like that. I remember yeah. like the Spider-Man cartoon. It took place in kind of the future, so that the guns that all the characters had were sort of yeah, laser like guns. Laser guns. Yeah. they did that
4: with GI Joe too. I remember, like it, all the all the Joes had these laser guns. And Cobra, too. I I was watching a video on YouTube recently about Batman the Animated Series finding ways to circumvent that gun thing. Because they were set in, like, this nondescript period of time Mm -hmm. where it's kind of like the 50s or the 30s or whatever. But there's also, like, modern elements. But all the guns were, like, these Tommy gun-looking things. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they got away with that was because nobody was selling Tommy guns anymore. You know, it was like a a bygone thing. So it didn't quite look like a real gun because it had that brown magazine thing mm-hmm. on the bottom of it. So it looked kind of like a fake gun, but it was based on a real gun. So they were able to get away with that.
2: I think that's my favorite part about with Batman as well in the animated series, how they would always make sure to show you that the character didn't die yeah so like even if you like kick somebody out of a helicopter there would be a shot of like the bad guy landing in a tree or something
4: yeah yeah yeah
2: (laughs) just so you know that he didn't die like even though it's like a darker cartoon and it has this sort of serious tone like no one ever actually dies in it that's right i'm trying to think if there is an episode where somebody died i don't think there is Hi, this is Andy from the future to chime in before the nerds do. What I mean when I say nobody dies in Batman the Animated Series is no one is murdered on screen. Okay, if you want to be some pedantic nerd and be like, Oh, Nora Freeze died when that dude shut down Mr. Freeze's experiment or some shit. Okay, you know what I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. There are clearly some deaths that are alluded to, but no one actually gets murdered on screen. And we now return to your regularly scheduled program
4: you know that joker gas that laughing gas it leaves people like catatonic and with a permanent smile on their face and their eyes are like wide open and dilated and whatever yeah and it it looks like they're in a kind of death like a horrific kind of coma and i think that's worse than dying if you ask me
2: but was that in the show or in mask i think mask of the phantasm
4: people died might have been one of the the movies i'm not sure i can't remember exactly i remember fond memories of Having first discovered that show, and I was like, what is this? This is great. This is like nothing else out there.
2: Yeah, I was huge into Batman at that time anyways, like, because I love Batman Returns, and I used to watch that movie a lot, and the cartoon was right around that time. But now, it's time for more music! And uh, besides doing cool graphic art and animation, you've also made a few tracks, so we should listen to one of those. Uh, I thought this one was cool. This is Undercard by Blood and Chrome. Okay. And that was undercard by blood and chrome and i'm here with blood and chrome right now although we've mainly just been chatting about your visual arts stuff and just like last week the conversation has uh, turned to batman again
4: <laughs> which is your favorite of the movies of the tim burton ones
2: uh, Returns. I like Returns the best.
4: I have to say the first one's my favorite. It just feels grittier, like dirtier, almost.
2: Yeah, for me it's just Batman Returns is so weird. It was like my favorite movie when I was in grade six, and I remember I just, I watched it all the time, mm. and I really like Danny Elfman's music in the second one. Yeah. The score is really great and atmospheric, but it's, it's definitely like, it's a weird movie. Like, when people say they don't like Batman Returns, I can't argue with them about it, because I'm like, yeah, it is a fucking weird, and some of it can be pretty off-putting like if you find the penguin like a gross character then i can't argue with that like i know lots of people who are just they just can't handle the shot of him eating the fish and like black (laughs) shit like coming out of his mouth
4: and stuff like it's weird it's such a weird movie yeah it is the gross factor in that film is definitely a thing but i I don't think it ever bothered me though but i think the reason why i like the first movie better was just because that was the first one i ever saw so there's a nostalgia part of it but also i love the joker in that like for me That Joker is just so cool. You know, he's he's not like unhinged necessarily. He is a little bit, but he's also like under control. Like he knows what he's doing. You know, he's a very sort of threatening character. He's not like purely comical.
2: Plus the scene still makes me laugh my ass off when he slides into the frame and says, never rub another man's rhubarb. Yeah.
4: Never never rub another man's rhubarb.
2: (laughs) What I've always loved about that shot was that he comes into the frame. Michael Keaton's on the floor and then it all of a sudden just films like the ceiling and you know, like this beige room and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, joker yeah. slides into the frame <laughs> <laughs> like it still makes me laugh to this day like it's such a funny shot and fucking uh i'm glad you're dead when when the dude's a yeah. skeleton and he keeps talking to the skeleton i love that scene so much it's
4: fucking awesome yeah he's got so so many good lines in that film
2: yes like I would say I like the style of Batman Returns Mm -hmm. so I like the way the costume looks I like the overall look of the movie because that was before now every movie they just run it through digital filters and stylize the look of it you know like every movie you watch now is like blue and green and all this but I feel like there was a time where that was like a novelty to have a movie that, oh, this movie's kind of like Shades of Blue, like, that's cool because, like, most movies just look normal, you know, like, just looks like real life. So I really like the stylized look of it and feel of it, but definitely joker is a stronger character than penguin and catwoman like he's definitely stronger
4: yeah definitely like and you just mentioned the whole color grading thing that new movies have i actually like it when movies look more naturalistic with like a naturalistic lighting without any filters added on top of them yeah anytime i see filters added on top i'm like i get a little bit annoyed about that
1: i
2: do too and there was a time where it was novel and cool
4: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I think the way they did Batman Returns was probably more so to do with the actual art direction, like all the props and everything in front of the camera was specifically made to look a certain way. They actually put the effort into doing that instead of just going over everything at the end, you know, like applying just a a filter over everything.
2: Now the problem is it takes me out of it because it adds another layer of fakeness, right? So even if I really like the movies, I love superhero films, I enjoy the Marvel movies, but like with each one, they're becoming more and more CGI, and there's a lot more filters going on to sort of blend everything together. That's right, yeah. And it does remove me a bit when Matrix came out, it was cool because not mo- like a lot of movies weren't doing that. Yeah. And it has a story purpose. It's like, you know, yeah, when right. it's kind yeah. of green, you're in the Matrix. When it's kind of blue, you're out of the Matrix. So there's a story reason for the color grading as well.
4: Yeah, exactly. Like if there's a purpose behind it, and it's, I was going to actually mention Matrix as well. Like that's one of the movies that utilized it properly as a storytelling aid. Because yeah, if you're in the Matrix, having that green filter over everything reinforces that this world is not real
2: yeah i think now they just do it because they can't i don't know if that means less care is taken in the actual lighting like on set or like they just go like well you know this is going to take place in a desert so we're gonna you know color grade it to be a bit more yellow and orange and yeah. there's just something about it that feels a little unnatural and so when i go back and watch a lot of my favorite movies i was watching terminator 2 the other day mm-hmm. and it's pretty much just you know this looks normal i mean like besides at the end it, in the, in the molten metal plant or whatever, you know, like where it's kind mm-hmm. of blues. And, and that, that's intentional because it's blue, but the sparks are all orange and reds. And so yeah. you've got those cool things where like a red light's coming from this way and a blue from the other. And like, I think maybe that's what's missing now for movies because since the effects are all so digital and everything's fucking manipulated digitally, color correction afterwards, it just adds another level of fakeness that if you capture it in camera and you have people actually in costumes and props and you can just film it, everything just feels more real when it looks like real life, I guess.
4: Now I'm no expert on uh, digital cameras versus film cameras, but I think that like if you shoot something with a digital camera... And you don't apply any color grading to it. It has that flat look. You know what I mean?
2: I should talk to um, Jean-Philippe from uh, Le Matos because he's a cinematographer. Right. Yeah.
4: And yeah, I, yeah.
2: I think he actually has a red camera. Like digital cameras, they're designed specifically that you are going to manipulate it later.
4: Yeah. I think you almost have to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the most important thing is it just gathers as much information as possible. Right. So then it, it ends up flat, like you said, and then you take it in you go, okay, well, we'll up the contrast and we'll do this and that. but. But the reason why it looks so flat is because you're just trying to capture the most information possible in like every frame and then manipulate it later
4: okay yeah that makes sense because I guess
2: there's there's a difference between enhancing what you know like say like Lord of the Rings yeah so Lord of the Rings is an example where they do a lot of digital correction but it sort of works for the movie because you go okay we filmed Hobbiton, it looks like this let's fucking amp the green up to like fucking max mm-hmm. to just show how lush and beautiful the grass is here and it's all greens and yellow flowers and stuff to contrast the darkness and yeah like they probably did a lot of enhancing because the grass wasn't that green or whatever mm-hmm. fine like that stuff I can sort of accept and it's fantasy right so then sure. it yeah, adds exactly. another level whereas movies where it's just like nowadays it's like oh it's a thriller well thrillers have to be tinted blue you know because that's what a thriller is thrillers are blue you know and it's I don't know like I have just I just feel like that's what's happening it's like if it's a dark movie then like the subject matter is dark then you also have to make the movie blue
4: yeah I mean there's a place for all this stuff if you think or if you believe that color grading will enhance the storytelling yeah do it but I agree that there's a lot of occasions where it's just done just because like you said oh this is a thriller make it blue this is a horror movie you know like those remake of uh, well, like Friday, the Thirteenth, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Where they color grade everything kind of teal. Well, not, that's not the right color.
2: (laughs) You mean like uh, where they sepia tone everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
4: Yeah, sepia tone everything. Then they just do it just because it gives it that kind of backwoods feeling, like it's out in in the sticks or whatever.
2: Yeah, no, I know all about them sepia sticks. But look, we gotta listen to some more music, man. We gotta hear some more tunes. So, here is one by Garoad, G-A-R-O-A-D. This dude's tracks are fun. They sound like Japanese video game music from, like, the late 90s. I know whenever I listen to this guy's catalog, I visualize selecting a Polygon jet ski at an arcade. Anyways, this is Life Beat of Lilum by Garode. <laughs> And that was Life Beat of Lilum by Garode. I'm not 100% sure of who's singing. Um, there are other tracks with vocals by a lady named Adriana Figueroa, but no one is directly credited on this track, and I'm not smart enough to figure it out. So let me know, man. I guess that's, uh, that's directed at Gal Road. Who's singing on the track, dude? Anyways, look, we return now to chatting with artist Blood and Chrome about, uh, color grading and movies, and, uh, and you brought up those horror movie remakes that all do the sepia tone, and I noticed that too, but I don't know why that's the go-to tone.
4: Ah, it's one of my least favorite tones.
2: It only works when, if it's, like, historical, uh, you know, like, say, Godfather 2. Right, yeah. But, I mean, again, they didn't do it digitally, but, you know, they sepia tone kind of the, uh, the stuff that takes place in the past, uh, you know, and it shows you, like, yeah, we're in the past now. I mean, like, that's why it's, everything looks like a postcard, because we're in a, a different time.
4: Yeah, and it differentiates it from the present-day stuff, you know, like, it's a visual aid, like, it makes sense in the storytelling. It's like, okay, now we're in the past. Like, you you just have that shorthand. The color's changed. I get that, you know. And even, like, the whole argument of uh, practical versus CGI. Again, there's a place for CGI. Like, a lot of times, CGI is great for, like, if you want to replace parts of the set with, you know, like, back in the day, they used to paint matte paintings to make it look like they were in a much larger environment. Well, nowadays, Mm. computer graphics works great for that. You can do it much more quickly, and it looks better. Like, I was watching
2: the the behind the scenes of the movie Aliens Mm -hmm. and how they did some of those matte paintings, the actual technique of it is so impressive. Because I think there was one shot that they were showing where they had the extended shot and they had the matte painting. I'm getting this wrong, but I remember like some of that they did in camera where it's actually like the matte painting is being like reflected on a mirror or something.
4: There was a shot when they're waking up from their uh, cryogenic pods and to make it look like there were more of them, they simply placed a mirror behind, like, there were four actual ones, and they placed the mirror to make it look like they were extended out further. So that's, like, a neat little in-camera trick, just using a mirror, you know? In-camera tricks
2: are fun for me. I think that's why, I mean, I liked Lord of the Rings, like, the first trilogy, more than The Hobbit, because The Hobbit was all just CGI'd. Mm-hmm. The first trilogy, I liked that they actually had a lot of, like, in-camera tricks to make Gandalf bigger than The Hobbits.
4: Yeah, the first Lord of the Rings movie that... Whole behind the scenes featurette on the DVD. Like, I watched those. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, there's so many techniques from back in the day, like rear projection. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that one scene in Terminator 2 where, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character grabs John Connor and puts him on his bike, Mm -hmm. just grabs him by the collar with one arm, you know? Yeah. And that whole background behind him was a projection, but it it looked really good because, you know, they shot it outside in the same location, and the lighting matched and everything. There's, you know, it was seamless.
2: That's got to be so hard because, like, with lighting in general, like, if you have a light source that's coming from behind the actors because the projection aspect of it but then you also have to light the actors the same and make sure that their lighting doesn't fuck up the projection or dim the image in the screen like i've never actually watched a video of how they accomplish that but i'd be curious to see but i, I do think it's a cool effect and i mean and the other day when i w- watched t2 uh, on netflix uh, speaking of effects i think that that version is the updated version oh okay you know what before when arnold goes over the ramp on the bike and you can tell it's a really obvious stunt guy because they did it in slow motion yeah, yeah, yeah. they've like cgi'd arnold's head onto him in this version oh okay they went back and fixed that and i believe they also cgi'd out robert patrick scrotum like there's a there's a scene where you see the t1000's bag when he like after he yeah. kills that cop which yeah, yeah. which the thing is i don't ever remember seeing his bag but then everyone's just like oh you can see his bag in it and i was like really but then when i watched it this time i didn't see a bag and i was like specifically looking at this point so i think it's the version where they removed it
4: i remember um, the bag
2: i would have i mean like when i was young like it made me laugh even like in terminator Mm one if you watch it with the contrast up like you can see arnold's dink just like fucking going (laughs) back and forth when he's like walking in that area i remember that too oh i got a question for you i don't know if you know the answer to this in 80s cartoons sorry this is like such a tangent no problem do you know how they achieved the glowing effect of lasers The glowing
4: effect i believe uh it was simply backlit there's a light behind the uh cell and it was shining right at the lens, and that's how you get that glow effect. It was an actual light. I think they might have done the lasers on another pass, like on separate cells. And film that individually. I'm just guessing, but I'm I'm positive that that glow effect is achieved with actual light in some way. And I think the laser the lasers were added after the fact with like a light behind it, and they were shot separately, and then they were composited later. I think because
2: that's another thing that's really impressive about your um your trailer because you've totally fucking mastered like the '80s cartoon laser beam, <laughs> which I love. I know I mentioned this to you privately, but if I ever get around to making my robot show, which is a joke at this point because I think I've been talking about this for like four years yeah I remember you told me about that yeah I would love to do even if it's even though it's live action I want the lasers to look like 80s lasers because I was watching them in slow motion I was watching like the intro to mask Mm -hmm. as an example in mask right there's those shots where it shows kind of like a cannon and I love the way the 80s laser blasts it starts as sort of like a ball. You know, there's like a circle of energy and it, that yeah, circle yeah. sort of like breaks and becomes like this scattered kind of stream.
4: Yep, yep. I love that effect too. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's fucking awesome. I don't know if it would work in live action if it would look kind of cartoony, but like I just like that effect. I think it just looks so cool.
4: I think that'd be cool to put that into a live action shot. I don't think I've ever seen that.
2: Because it really makes lasers feel like a laser blast, you know? It's like it's like this ball of energy that like can't be contained at the front of the gun and it fucking brakes.
4: Yeah, yeah. Gives it that much more energy. Makes it feel like like you said like the energy's barely contained and then it just juts out after it's accumulated it's turned into this ball and then pow it just shoots out. A lot of those tricks come from the Japanese animations of the time as well they sort of pioneered all those really great laser effects and you know light effects and that kind of stuff yeah. like if you go back and you watch you know, the series from the 80s and stuff you'll see like Gundam and stuff it's chock full of that kind of stuff.
2: Do you think anyone owns, I know I'm asking you these weird questions Do you? <laughs> I was thinking about this because in my robot show the design that I did for the one robot is very very heavily inspired by Optimus Prime Mm -hmm. and I wonder like do you think anyone owns the copyright to like anime robot like with the horns and the mask there's a lot of different anime that sort of has this style right like where the the robots have the horns I mean I call them horns but like the ears or whatever you want to call them I know what you mean and like a face mask and so I, I remember when I was doing my research for it I was like looking up old anime and the origins of anime robots just to see like does one specific company own the design like if you did like an Optimus prime like robot but just didn't call him Optimus prime could they sue you
4: i think if it looks different enough it's fine there's tons of robots out there that share similar qualities like you know like the face mask the the pointy ears the giant shoulders you know like all these little sort of hallmarks shared between all all different kinds of robots but you know as long as it doesn't look exactly like Optimus Prime, you should be fine. See, I wonder if the
2: copyright, like, the nature of the copyright of Transformers is that they're aliens from another world who are robotic that have the ability to transform into Earth vehicles. They can't really copyright the idea of the face mask of a robot or the horns, because, like, Gundam, Voltron, like, there's lots of, like, Mm -hmm. different things that sort of have that similar look, although sometimes not all together. Like, some of them just have the face mask thing but no horns. Because, like, Do Gundams have the horns, or they just have the face mask? I don't remember.
4: Yeah, they have the horns. Yeah, if you look at a Gundam, it's it wouldn't be out of place in the Transformers like show. That's for sure. Yeah, it's very very similar look to it. I think the if you're talking about copyright though, like it like the toy company Hasbro that owns Transformers, they might have an issue if you made it look too similar, like almost like bootleg type thing where it's Optimus Prime with a different color scheme.
2: I just love the face mask and the horns, but the color scheme. You know, like, I wouldn't do, like, a fucking red and blue, although the first one I did was red. Right. And I was thinking, like, okay, well, maybe the new version I'll do, I'll make him gold or something, and then that gets away that. But I love the look of the face mask and the horns. Like, I love that.
4: I think think you'd be fine.
2: But Optimus Prime has, like, double horns. (laughs) Does he? Because he's got a big pair, and then he's got, like, little horns as well, like, on the inside. (laughs) He's got a big pair, huh? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Awesome. All right, look... (laughs) We could probably uh, wind this down, but how about we listen to one more song and then we'll do that. So here is Juno Dreams with Be With Me, the remastered 2018 version. And that was be with me by juno dreams the remastered 2018 version and we're winding down here with blood and chrome aka baz in portugal and uh, yeah i guess we can uh, we can wrap this up
0: yeah man whenever you want
2: so what should people do should they go to your website to look at your stuff Of course
4: yeah go to the website Look at all of my stuff. So, blood and chrome. Right now, my URL is pointing to just my Tumblr page where I post basically my work. So, it's bloodandchrome.com. dot com. Like, this is your job now, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Over the years, it's turned into a job now. Yeah, it's gotten serious. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Glad to be on this side of things because there is a time when uh, things were kind of rough. I was going hungry. <laughs> Not anymore.
2: Like I said at the start of this conversation, sometimes people take the art for granted. And so it's nice to be able to see talented artists get the recognition that they deserve for their talents and also the financial compensation.
4: I never believe that I have any anything coming to me. I'm just glad to be doing this. I'm very fortunate. You know, like I, I think I, I hit upon something that people liked at the right time. It could have been anybody. You know, had I not got into the 80s thing, I'd probably still be scrounging for sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky, very fortunate to be in this position. And a, a lot of it, I owe it to uh, James White of Signal Noise, because uh, like he approached me a couple of years back to do uh, some work on a video game. And he didn't know me. We never talked. He took a chance on some guy clear across the other side of the world. And uh, yeah, I owe a lot to James and... He's a really nice guy, a very nice, polite Canadian like yourself. <laughs> I don't know if I'm polite, but Okay. He's a Canadian like you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think I think he is more polite than me, yes. I believe that to be true.
4: Yeah. No, yeah, James is a really great guy and uh Yeah, I owe a lot to him. And yeah, I owe a lot to just the people that request stuff for me. You know, like they'll message me and be like, hey, like your stuff? You want to do something? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. As long as that keeps happening, I'll be a happy person. Even if it stops, I'll be happy to have been part of that. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's all good. Good stuff.
2: (laughs) 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 This sounds like when I wrap something up. Good stuff.
4: (laughs) Good (laughs) stuff. Uh, this is why you've got the show and I don't.
2: <laughs> Anyways, look, man, uh, it was lovely to meet you. Keep on doing awesome stuff. I will. You're a talented guy. People, if they haven't watched it, go watch that damn fucking video because it's so good.
4: Yeah, just uh, it's on YouTube. Just Google Magnum Force Kickstarter pitch video. I think that's what I called it. And uh, it's there for you to enjoy. So what's
2: the deal? Did like, th- th- that Kickstarter
4: work? <laughs> yeah, it did. It worked. It actually worked. Can you believe it?
2: So the idea was that was the Kickstarter to start producing like these cards. Do they exist now to buy?
4: They'll, they'll exist. The backers will get their cards. Mm. And then there'll be a few made to sell on uh, rareplayingcards.com. Those people I partnered up with uh, in limited quantities. So once they're gone, they're gone unless I decide to make another run. If, if anybody out there wants more. So yeah, yeah it's all good. Well... I like a nice success story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. First Kickstarter I ever did. So I'm glad that it went well. It actually went well. I was nervous because, you know, like it's a deck of playing cards and, you know, it's not all that exciting. I guess I relied on the presentation to sort of hook people in. And, you know, for the most part, it, it did its job. So I'm very happy with it.
2: It was a very lovely presentation. Thank you. That's the key, because, yeah, with Kickstarters, you got to fucking, when you have that wow factor, which is nice, because, you know, I see a lot of Kickstarters where you're wondering, like, why would I give money to this, Uh, you know, when someone can't even put in the effort to, like, do a decent video presentation, you know, about their project. Yeah. And so uh, your thing was uh, very impressive.
4: Well, thank you. Your thing is impressive, too.
2: (laughs) I (laughs) wish. I wish. Uh all right man well look you have a lovely day it was lovely talking to you keep on rocking the fucking rock what and uh <laughs> and have, <laughs> I will I'm going to go
4: rock it right now yeah <laughs> all right take care dude all right buddy it was, uh, it was fun i've had the time of my life
2: And that was my conversation with Blood and Chrome. So that was a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Nice long episode this week. And thanks for tuning in to Beyond Synth. And what else? You want to say goodbye?
0: Goodbye. Bye.
2: Are you feeling better? Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. 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 Bye, bye, bye.
2: Can you say, Get over here.
0: Go for here.
2: Oh, do you hear? I hear a siren. Can you say... The truck. Yeah, that was a truck.
0: White truck.
2: How do you know it was a white truck? We're inside. Can you say, Hadouken.
0: chicken.
2: <laughs> okay, say goodbye to everybody.
0: Bye, everybody.
2: Say, have a good weekend. Hello,
0: weekend.
2: Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. Happy
2: New Year. Happy New Year. Can you say beyond synth?
0: No, no. No, <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: okay. All right. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening.
3: If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.